This is The Strategist, episode 1258. My name is Zane Velger. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. Guys, how's it going? You oh, know. it's been a great day, Zane. Uh, I got to see you. Oh, I didn't yeah. get to see your kid. Um, but, you know, that's fine. I don't need to see the kid. I like when you What's visit this? that I don't let you come inside the house. It's uh, No, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it sends a, a message. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a barrier. It's, uh, it sends it's a, a message. It sends a, yeah, that, that doorway lingering is, is I've perfected it. You're, you're clearly <laughs> denoting that he's a work friend. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's a work no, friend. it's it's very clear, it's Corey. Good. I mean, I get to your house, I get to go, you know, at least look inside the yeah, door. Sure. Like, I'll at least let you peer around. It's true. But, uh, it's but, the, uh, uh, you want a door knocker to leave? Number one strategy, when they knock on your door, you embrace it with enthusiasm. You you open no. the door and you walk out with them and you say hello and you just wrong. Zane. No, it's absolutely correct. And I did that with Steve. Number Carter. one strategy is no shirt. <laughs> okay. Number two strategy is engage enthusiastically. Combining the two strategies, you're you're, you're effing golden. Yeah, it's wonderful. Corey's. Yeah. Corey. You guys ever invite the door knocker in? That really messes with them. You want to come in for a coffee? And then no no, like, no no they don't no no again do. again yeah amateur moves here yeah. You want to come to my garage for a coffee? Oh, <laughs> that's good stuff. If I hadn't thought it all the way through. Now, you know, if I look at someone like you, 40s, those glasses, yeah, that haircut. That's true. I'm like, this guy's yeah. got it like a legit Japanese coffee set up in his garage. I feel like you're one of those people. <laughs> you're like, dude, freshly imported. I've got filters from Taipei. Do you want some coffee in my garage? I would say no. yes. If Carter <laughs> asks for some coffee in his garage and uses air quotes when he says garage... That gives me the vibes that says, you know, it's time to move away, um, which is why trick or treat at the Carter and Hogan household, uh, yeah, is is more trick it, less it's treat. It's a shared household. Now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be great. It's more trick less treat. Um, guys, we had a Patreon episode that we um, deliberately leaked to the public, uh, and oh, I feel so and I feel like the reviews are in. Um, and Corey, have we had anyone sign up to the Patreon as a result of that? Like four people. Oh man, those so four not, people. Not our, <laughs> not our best I feel like I feel but. like the strategy here was missing. We gave an episode for free and then told them to pay and then said, for that pay episode. Money I felt for the like, episode, yeah. <laughs> I felt like something was missing there in our logic, Carter. Um, uh, yeah, well, you know. I thought it was going to work great. I had tons of enthusiasm for Corey's idea. <laughs> yeah, you generally do. <laughs> Well, you did because it meant that we could push off this recording for two days. So and, yeah. Like, yeah, there was that. Yeah. There was that. Yeah, there I, was I a mean, little bit of that. Part of me wishes we recorded this back to back so we could not talk about what we're about to talk about, Carter. <laughs> oh, yeah, great. <laughs> well, this is going to be the episode of my life. I'm enjoying uh, this already. Well, it might, might be, be the, the last, last episode, episode of your, of your life, life, Carter. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. Uh, which, move, which brings me to our first segment, gents. Our first segment, is this a good idea? Corey, <laughs> <laughs> is what we're yeah. about to do a good idea? I mean, it depends on what we want to do. But here's what I've been pitching to the two of you via text pretty aggressively all weekend. Yep. Uh, and and I think as it's evolved, I've gone through oscillation of, well, maybe we shouldn't. And those feelings of maybe we shouldn't are exactly ultimately why I think we shouldn't. And of course, talking about the Hamas terror attacks in Israel, and more specifically, the political reaction here in Canada, we've seen some wild stuff my personal quote-unquote favorite and by favorite i'm i mean like the one that just needs to be talked about it was olivia chow putting out a statement condemning the attacks two hours later adding to the thread on twitter uh you know saying there are also people suffering in, in palestine or something to that effect and then kind of like taking it down and doing a do-over yeah. on it all yeah here. and then and then and then and, going quite hard after that right um on on the um on the on the pro Palestine, uh, sorry, on the on the on the, on the um, pro Palestine sort of uh, gatherings that were happening in Toronto, so to speak. So like 
multiple iterations, yeah. like going through Wait. a different chapter, a different version over the course of 12 hours, maybe? You are seeing so many statements yeah. stacked on statements as people are trying to uh, assess this. And there is there is there is some interesting stuff to unpack there. And I think that uh, at a moment like this, where obviously something horrific has happened with Hamas's terrible yeah, attack. Yeah, yeah. And I just, like, let's start here so we're not misunderstood. Well, I'll give you my view. I'm not going to put words in anyone's mouth, but... Like the targeted murder and kidnapping of civilians, civilians that include children and the elderly. And like the murder and kidnapping of civilians was the point, to be really yeah. clear. Like we're not saying collateral, like this was the plan. That is abhorrent. It's indefensible. It is not something that anybody should be standing up and supporting. It's, it's fucking awful. There are a thousand dead in Israel, 800 dead in Gaza, countless injured, homes lost, families traumatized. It's fucking bad. And it's fucking bad ultimately because Hamas decided to take a terror attack. That's that's my that's my bottom line on this one here. And there's no defense for this particular action. There is there is no series of actions that will make me okay with the actions that Hamas took. That's my personal view on it. I'm going to throw that out there right there. There is, however, a difficulty in in politicians are facing in how they're supposed to address this issue with a broader context there. And even saying that is something people don't want to hear. Yeah. And something yeah. people don't want to talk about at this moment. And I actually think that that's a very understandable response. But if you're a politician, what we saw for the first 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours was them wrestling with that. And I think their good sense kind of broke when they didn't realize they could immediately condemn terror. But part of it is this, you know, the overall views in Canada towards the two part, you know, two state solutions and Israel and Palestine have been very dramatically shifting over the past 30 years. So, so Corey, and let me, let me, it's got to be unpacked. Let me react to this. Carter, I, I want to let you get in on this. Oh, that'd be okay. I'm okay. Not talking on this. Episode, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> Carter, I need you to, to fill about seven to nine quick minutes here yeah. on, your, on your opinions and, <laughs> and um, make them hot. The takes need okay. to be hot, Carter. Yeah, hot uh, takes all hot. the way through. Uh, divisive as well. Uh, I think that really helps our algorithm. Yeah, divisive would be perfect. Corey's laid out, and I th- and I think it's fair to say that we we agree with Corey's you know analysis of the situation, the terror that has occurred, Hamas, you know, going after ob- as their core objective to terrorize. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's there there's a bunch of context we can go in. We we can talk about how abhorrent that is. But I want to get your take on what Corey's suggesting here. This sort of your initial take on this, and then let me add some shape to it. If we want to go in this direction, I can add some shape to it, because there's a few threads I want to pull at in terms of the domestic response. This podcast will not try to act as experts on the foreign policy front. We are not that. There are other people smarter than that. Carter and I both got fired as being Jerry Butt's assistant at Eurasia Group, right? There's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, okay. that was upsetting. Right? Uh, you know what? It, it, that wasn't public. Okay, that uh, wasn't public. But what was, okay. was that uh, Wikipedia is easily searchable and, and, and very easily identifiable, identifiable Carter, when you plagiarize it, Carter. So, yeah, um, I made so we, we, won't, we won't do the foreign policy thing, Carter. <laughs> okay, thank you, yeah, for, thank, you. thank you for covering. Thank you. Yeah. What, do you what do you think of, of Corey's sort of, you know, the, the, the knots that politicians are tying themselves into around how to respond within this broader context, um, so to speak? I think that you know there 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 are certain beats to responses, right? There are beats to the responses that are immediate. I mean, we start off with the uh, the Hamas response, right? So everybody had to do the this is bad. I mean, it is bad. There's there are rules to war, 
And that in and of itself seems like a like almost a joke, right? We have these rules for proper warfare, but there are rules for warfare because we have decided as a, as a humanity that some things are stepping too far and Hamas stepped too far. So we should be able to stand up and say, that's bad. Then there is a beat about, well, what about the overarching situation? Mm-hmm. How about this situation that we are in? How about the, the, mo- the modern day problem that exists and then well you know we have to we have to recognize that things aren't great there and then we have to go further right we have to go further to the occupation and we have to go further back to the to the actual creation of israel and and every step every step of this journey is fraught with um landmines for lack of a better phrase because these these issues aren't black and white there is a black and white nature to the Hamas response. But after that, everything kind of falls into different, you know, f- you know, different shades of gray. And I think that our politics today might be uniquely underprepared for shades of gray uh, in, a, in, a, in, a time, in a time when every take is a hot take then maybe we just don't have the skill set any longer to differentiate or to to look at scenarios that have multiple complexities and and let's be honest if there's anything more multi complex you know filled with multi dimensional complexities than the middle east i i don't know of it um it's hor- it's a horrific situation with horrific outcomes for everybody that's involved um, almost from day one, and you know, no one. It it, it to, me, to me, it almost reminds me of our first, you know, of the First Nations issues in Canada. The First Nations issues in Canada are horrific. They're difficult. They're super challenging. They're not made any easier by not talking about them in 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 uh, easily understandable language that defines and dictates and steps through the 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 gray um, that that comprises all of the, all of the challenges. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of pleased that we get to chat about this. I'm pleased that we're going to, to tackle it. I think that, um, you know, I hope that people grant us some, uh, some understanding that we are trying to deal with things in a complex that are in their complexity and not just their simplicity, because it is the complexity that gives us, um, the richness to respect, the cultures on both sides of this and the deep, deep hole uh, that has been dug by those who've come in the past. Corey, can we, can we, let me, I said I'm going to add a bit of shape to this. Let's try to do it. Let's talk about the domestic political front and let's use your sort of core question as, as a starting point. What do you think went on in Olivia Chow's office that day? And I, and listen, let's just use her as yeah. an example. I really like Olivia Chow. I know Olivia Chow. I respect her politics. I respect her grit. But what do you think went on in that office that day because you've you've started to allude to a bit of a response in terms of what may have happened we're entering pure speculation but i think for a good cause so we can try to explain the broader macro of what might be going on here in terms of politicians wrestling with the message box and where it is in this in the in this very devastating crisis yeah so when something truly horrific or truly tragic happens you often find politicians immediately coming to a conclusion as to what they should say and people are united on exactly what they should say and the level of 
texture and nuance and context and what's appropriate. Because let's be really fucking clear. And, and I really understand people who are, you know, just don't want to have the conversation right now about, uh, you know, Israel and Palestine, because when an arsonist burns down your house, nobody wants to hear you didn't install sprinklers. Okay. Like this is, this is like a very immediate tragedy and, and there are, there are a lot of emotions and, Uh and understandably so. But when, what was interesting about this particular issue is we didn't, you know, people very quickly can come to condemning Hamas and and the attacks and everything. That's, but I I think people were not a hundred percent sure. I'm talking about politicians here. What was expected of them in this particular moment because of how in macro the situation has evolved and Canadians' views have evolved mm. on this here. So, I'll, like, I'll get to your answer, Zane, but there was some polling done in, in 2020 about – and look, I looked at the poll questions and I think the thumb was on the scale. I, I don't think that they're necessarily the greatest phrasings of questions, but it was polling done by Ecos and it was legitimate polling and it asked effectively – how do you feel about Israel looking to abandon, uh, you know, a two-state solution? And Canadians very opposed, three quarters opposed to it. And um, and why I think the thumb was on the scale a bit is the question did say like Canada supports a two-state solution. Israel's now walking away from it. How do you feel about that? Mm. I mean, that's that's a little bit of a phrase thing. But in addition to that, almost a half of Canadians wanted sanctions against Israel at the time, and and views are not so reflexively supportive of the Israeli state amongst Canadians as a whole as they were in decades past. And and some of that is demographics, and maybe we can get into that in a minute, and some of that's not. Maybe some of that's just shifting worldviews. But to get back to Olivia Chow and what the hell do I think happened there is there was a statement of, oh my God, this is horrible. And then somebody or somebody's or groups of people around Olivia Chow said, you, you, there are all of these other events where people have died in numbers in Gaza. And if you look at it over the past 20 years, the number of civilian deaths and casualties on the Gaza site far eclipse mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. going on now. I'm sure somebody said that. And I'm sure Olivia Chow, well-intentioned, said, my goodness, I think I need to comment about the, you know, how there is problems on, on each side of the Gaza barrier, right? And did that. But then see my previous comment about when an arsonist burns down your house, nobody wants to hear you didn't install sprinklers. Mm-hmm. And so people said, are you effing kidding me right now? You know, there is a terror attack going on live, basically, in Israel as we speak. And, and you know, this is where the, the comments are. And so then it was kind of like a pull down and a redo. And as this evolved and as the scope of the terror attack became clear and as the reporting became more filled out and as people all started shifting towards that you know, decision that they were going to give the full-throated support to the state of Israel, which I think collectively politicians have largely decided yeah, to do That's where we've point. converged, yeah, yeah, for the most part. It has now become like a very strong statement. And it almost doesn't feel like the same Olivia Chow when you look at those statements versus the statements to follow. And that's really fascinating to me. because, And it's not fascinating to me where they ended up. It's fascinating to me that there was the moment where, you know, a, a not insignificant number of people weren't quite sure what to say and weren't quite sure what to do, largely because it was colored by the broader shifts on this issue before kind of the full scope of the terror was known. Carter, do, do you feel like there's a rule here in politics that, that might be emerging? And I know we're right in the middle of this, and, and this is another hot button issue, right? So I'm asking you, hey, are we creating political rules as we see this develop? That's not what I'm saying. But there is something to Corey's point around, well, let's, let's just, let me just address it right, you know, st- straight up. Is, do, does anyone care about context when something so acute and horrible happens? 
Like, and, and this is where I ask you about the political rule here, right? If you were advising someone today, and let's say this had happened on the other side, right? And there's arguments to be made on the other side, right? But does that context matter, right? To Corey's point, or, or as a politician, is your response to reflect where people are at today in this acute moment? Because, and this, and treat this as an event rather than as a continuum. Maybe that's a better way of phrasing it. And so I, I'm just kind of curious if you've got any thoughts on that, because that is what the at least the expectation of many was to treat this as an event, not as another milestone, as horrible as it is in terms of a long historical continuum. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there used to be a rule that you, you know, especially in foreign affairs, you just said you said things that you thought were factual and you took a strong position and you led and it, and it kind of put us back into a, a box that we've been in a number of times when I talk about uh, leadership versus reflection, right? There used to, you know, foreign affairs used to be a place where leadership could consistently exist. Mm. Um, and that leadership, because we, we didn't know very much, right? We didn't know uh, very much about the, the world. We, we, we would just take that which was given to us by you know, the, the, the tall foreheads and, uh, we would, you know, that, that was the world. That's the way the world unfolded. Um, now I think we're in real trouble, right? I think that because there are no experts anymore, because we are all experts, uh, because we all, uh, get to be the ones with the, you know, the degrees, you know, cause you earn your degree on Twitter that <laughs> enables you to take these or forces the politician to no longer take the leadership position, especially when you know that the mob is going to scream you down. So you don't get to take a leadership position, even in something as simple as decrying violence that is disgusting until you know that the mob's not going to come after you. Um, so the, this mob mentality has chased um, a lot of positions away and and then maybe that's great maybe that's great maybe we do need uh, um, a reset on this because maybe we were going too far in our support of certain ideas and certain thoughts and and just blind following but i still think we still got the same blind following in a lot of our ideological circles which is i think Corey, you know kind of proposed one idea of what happened in chow's office i think there was another kind of situation that unfolded and that is that People with certain ideological points of view about the Palestinian conflict uh, and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict came in with their ideological views, and they tend to be left of center. See Cupy's response, um, and well, one Cupy local, just one Cupy local is a still, I, you know, I mean, I think that I think it's safe to say that and there have been problematic responses ideologically from multiple groups. And, and to be to be clear though carter right Th those that particular response was someone kind of talking about what happened as part of the resistance versus simply being i shouldn't say just my simply point, being but pro-palestinian right and and my, the conflation point, between hamas and palestine i think is also some point yes go ahead make your point make people your point. get shouted down for the and, and i think that there were positions that were taken quickly that remind you know people said don't forget about this other situation and they weren't wrong necessarily to say it but the way that the mob is behaving right now that is not an acceptable position and and olivia chow had to back away because the mob was pushing her in a different position which isn't necessarily bad no but no it is the situation but we're but, but cory let me just use the moment that just happened between card and i to illustrate this point right 
I was just adding yeah. context. So friends that I know, right? Like my, literally my friends who will probably listen to this, who are very pro-Palestine, have been for a while, right? Um, would not misinterpret me. And when Carter talks about this mob, right? It's in, in this case, it's not just an online mob. This is very different. These are like people that many folks know. These are like real voices out there. Twitter and other places might be the medium, but this is not just an, a, a, an overly online story, right? And I know that a lot of the stuff we're seeing incubates there. It carries on, but this is generations deep, very live, very real for many people. But Corey, I wanted to kind of get your reaction to this event versus continuum, Right and and if there is a, a an emerging if not already baked rule for how political leaders need to think about this is is context around the continuum of history important or are we in a moment where the advice that we would give as practitioners as strategists is really about deal with the event in front of you? You always deal with the event in front of you. You don't need to look at a lot of other events to see the comps here where if you try to add that context, people say, well, you read the fucking room. Like, do you, do you want to show some humanity here and, and sort of identify the moment in front? I, every time there is a mass shooting in the United States, this occurs. Uh, now you can argue whether that is appropriate or not. And certainly even on this podcast, we've said, well, at some point, you know, America does need to grapple with gun violence. You can talk about forest fires in Canada and people being evacuated from communities that it pretty clearly tied to, you know, climate change overall, hurricanes being stronger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, Nobody wants to hear after the hurricane that actually this is more likely to have occurred because of climate change. Because of our collective nobody, inaction or whatnot, yeah. Nobody wants to hear that. that. I mean, I think this is actually a fairly well-established rule. Context is unwelcome at moments of crisis. What people are looking for, in many ways, it's not very different from like when you're talking to your spouse. They're looking for support. They're looking for you to show compassion to their particular set of of pains, and they're looking for you to try to help as best you can. They are not looking for you to say, well, we ended up in this situation because of A, because of B, because of C, and uh, that is true even if A, B, and C are so fucking big, they're neon signs on the side of the wall. That's just it's, the reality it's, it, of politics. Uh, it's, it's so interesting, Carter, because I, I agree with Corey's analysis. I agree with Corey's sort of like advice as a, as a practitioner. But there's also this, if you take aside based on an event and other people are and especially with the demographic change in the Korean, this might be a good time to kind of talk about the demo changes in this country are viewing this as a continuum and you take right. a side on an event that's where i think the 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 tension for political leaders lies that they're following this rule carter that i'm going to yeah. comment on the event i'm going to read the room i'm going to issue my support but it's not like it doesn't come at a cost when they're being criticized for not reading, well, the historical context and the continuum that many are looking at this through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, we talked a little bit of, I want to talk about something we've talked about before, but apply it to this context. And during the Ukrainian, the invasion of Russia by Ukraine, on this podcast, you and I were talking and you were you were kind of asking the point of question. Like, like me, you mean? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. you, Zane, I'm sorry, we're, I'm, I'm pointing to you, but that's no way for you to even know, let alone the audience know, because we're on like three screens. You asked the point of question, Zane, you know, why Why is this the thing we all care about and the entire world gets t- tied up in and not the many other tragedies with higher death counts, in, in fact, mm-hmm. in many cases? And I, I said then, and I believe it, 
it's actually fairly understandable because of kind of the cultural connections we have to Ukraine because of their place in the European community, because of their place in, in the history of the Western world, which it, we are a part of, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and that is a shifting reality, but that is the reality we sit in right now. And particularly when you think about Ukraine in a place like Alberta, significant Ukrainian population, as large as it gets outside of Ukraine. Maybe not true anymore after this most recent diaspora, but was certainly true mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. Now, the thing about Canada is our cultural ties and the stories that bind us are shifting to different parts of the world. And this is for fucking sure not all something that you can lens through religion. But let's talk a little bit about religion for a moment. In 1991, there were more practitioners of the Jewish faith in Canada than Muslim faith. Uh, by about four to three, it wasn't like a massive advantage, but it was, you know, it was, there were more practitioners of the Jewish faith than Muslim faith. Fast forward to 2021, it's now five to one practitioners of the Muslim faith over the Jewish faith in a young city like Calgary, 15 to one, mm. you know, the demographics are shifting massively. And Zane, I was saying this to you before we hit record here, but we're getting to a place where there is probably more likelihood of you knowing somebody or being related to somebody in in Gaza City than Tel Aviv, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, those connections are shifting and they're shifting rather significantly over a relatively short period of time historically. And so those worldviews and those cultural concerns and context are shifting too. And let's be really fucking clear. There's a lot of history here and you said it and I agree with it. Let's not get into the analysis. We are not experts on the Middle East, but there is this, this Western tradition of viewing... Uh, you know, World War II and the Holocaust and, you know, the establishment of the state of Israel and the immediate attacking of the state of Israel. That is kind of fading in history and that's fading culturally as different cultural groups come come kind of to, to the forefront of Canadian uh, conversation. And so conversations are changing as well. And it's really interesting to me what those consequences are if you play them forward and what kind of effort and work it will take hmm. to, to maintain a different context. Carter. I, you know, this, this just fascinating uh, listening to this because there's there's some there's some really interesting kind of understanding of how people react to information um, because it turns out that we don't all react to the same facts the same way, right? Your historical understanding of things, your values over time, dictate how you're going to respond to a piece of information. And we'll I'll move it away from the Middle East uh, crisis because it's just too a little bit too dangerous. But, you know, when we were dealing with uh, oil and gas CEOs, the oil and gas CEOs would say, well, we, we create the jobs um, because of the, the oil and gas economy. We, we create jobs across Canada, and that's good. And I said to them, well, yeah, I mean, I, everybody's going to agree that factually you're correct. You, you, you know, the oil sands does create jobs. But the way that other people respond to that fact is different. Right. And so the facts of 1948 to 19, uh, you know, 47 to 48, um, the, 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 the Six Day War, all of these facts are going to be interpreted by different people in different fashions. And that interpretation um, is unpredictable at the current moment. Right. So the, the, this is forcing us, us being the political class, if you will, to dodge around the issues until we see exactly how the facts are going to be received. And it's actually, it's, I don't know, I don't want to call it impressive. I'm not sure that that's the right word, but it is reflective of the, um, the changes because 
We want to be reflective of our, of our societal changes. We should be reflective of our societal changes. But how do we balance these reflections of societal change with, the, with our former understanding of what is actually important to us as a culture? And I think that this is, this is where we're dancing, man. This is where the dance happens. Mm. And it's going to be, there, there's not going to be some sort of simple uh, political statement that can be made that's going to be universally understood by by the fullness of Canadians. This is our our new reality, or perhaps this is our old reality too, because it wasn't like we had a single uniform point of view necessarily at any given point. Well, well you, you, Corey, jump in. I, I was just going to add, you know, just to kind of support Carter's point, you know, this confusion that politicians are having as well. Uh, extends beyond the response of the first 24 hours, right? As these, if you want to call them counter-protests, some may call them pro-Palestine protests, others have labeled them as pro-Hamas protests, whatever they are, the timing of them really kind of puts into jeopardy perhaps the pro-Palestinian movement in terms of what they were out there advocating for. Um, But politicians really were mealy-mouthed and confused on this until there was pushes to say, well, look at the timing of this, even if this is pro Palestinian. This is not making sense. What are they out there celebrating? Yeah. Right, a little bit in poor taste. I know, I know. Right? And so, and so, you know, for, for for those that that were even were looking to respond to this after they put out their initial statement, and they, you know, they put it out and they said the response, and they hoped that it would land. There is going to be more of this. There is going to be significantly more of this. This is not like a one and done. We got through it this time. I read the tea leaves correctly. Thank God. Lick my finger. The wind blew the right way. There is going to be iteratively more of this, and we need to be tooled as both political practitioners and, frankly, as like citizens in terms of how we want to necessarily understand and digest these issues. Well, so that is the ingredient of time, which I, I wanted think to talk about speed play. and time. So go ahead. This is my next thing on my list. Well, so there, there is the, the political conversations to come, uh, as well as the, the, the past 96 hours at this point that have occurred and how you know because carter you did say like people are and zane you sort of agreed like a little confused about this i think that's true i it's it's more true i think in the way you said it zane people have somewhat gravitated to the position of no we just need to be very strong against terror we need to be very strong against hamas's actions there and that is ultimately where the politicians have landed I actually think 12 hours later than they should have, you know, but anyways, that's in some ways a fascinating reflection of some of those, uh, you know, changes on the issues that have occurred that are, you know, kind of floating out there and almost kind of polluting judgment is is my personal view on it there. But there is, um, there is the issue of time the other way, like you can make these bold statements, you can make these dramatic statements. And then reality is going to hit you in the face the next day in terms of now, what do you say about the rally? Right now, what do you say about um, we're at a moment in time right now where what do you say right now? Where like, I don't know if this is where you go. And so not to interrupt you, I apologize. But like when the death toll of uh, civilians in Gaza outstrips, if I don't mean this to make a comparison, outstrips the death toll of uh, of Hamas's terror attack against Israelis. Are you now going to be at, you know, I think the answer is going to be no, because we've never seen it in this country, but well, it opens up that same fucking question of like, you took a bold stance, you got through it, but did you? So that is where I was going. I do want to say right now, before I go a moment further, there is a big difference in intent. Like again, Hamas targeted I, 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 civilians. I, 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 
you know, but but you're right. I mean, and we we do know that the history of these, uh, you know, these uh, offensive and counteroffensive thrusts and parry is often that it's the civilians in Gaza who end up disproportionately affected in the long term. Again, there are questions of intent and targeting, and I am not trying to diminish any of that, and I am not trying to kind of prejudge that those things are going to happen. Hopefully, the IDF does a very good job of avoiding civilian casualties, but. The, uh, you know, history has sort of trained us that that's not likely to be the case, and we will likely get to another place. And have you gone so far out one way that you are basically going to be pushing yourself or you're going to be demanded by many people in this country to make strong statements on, on the other side, too? Well, and so well, that, these are well, fascinating Especially to your earlier point, as the ground shifts demographically, if you as a politician to Carter's frame want to reflect versus lead on certain things, if the grounds are shifting demographically, and more to kind of use my analogy, are viewing this as a continuum, and may already have, to Carter's point, figured out their position and are not kind of looking to oscillate on it every time there's another, you know, unfortunate milestone or in, in, the, in the historical continuum, then you're going to have to figure out how you, you, uh, you know, deal with this in, in a real meaningful way. And, I, and it just seems like we just don't have the political tools, the political sort of patience to be able to do that. No, and, I, and I might be asking for too much here, Carter. Am I? Yeah, you are. Because, okay. I mean, at the end of the day, the, right. <laughs> you know, we're trying <laughs> <End> to <clears throat> yeah. so move forward, right? So time is everything, right? We, ha, we're responding to the incident in this particular moment. Okay, that, that, that that's kind of what we've decided is the smartest move for a political act, actor to take in this particular moment. Respond to the specific. Okay, great. There's going to be a specific tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Will we respond with the same terms and the same outrage if the circumstances are similar? Now, we're not going to see the kidnapping of people. We're not going to necessarily mm-hmm, see. Mm-hmm. But we will see something vaguely resembling an overreaction. I don't mean to cast the, 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 I'm, the example I'm going to use of the overreaction, the United States after September 11th. We had all the wars. All the wars started after that. And it was fine because it was deemed to be by the people that we liked, by the people that we knew, we wanted to see action. We wanted to see activity. Um, that was part and parcel of the, of, of the, uh, of the, re, uh, of the next step, the demand for retribution. Do we expect, do we anticipate, do we, would we even ask for Israel to, to react differently in their own context now? And I'm not sure that we should. And then, but then if we're in our react to the situation in the moment piece, we are going to be entering into a reaction on top of a reaction on top of a reaction. And how do you deal with that moving forward? Um, I think that that becomes the, the real challenge of this is that your your reaction, you're, you're being in the moment now, will dictate that you're going to be in the moment in the future. And the future case, based on previous examples, not necessarily Israel's, right, but on future examples of nation states that have had terrorist impact or ter- terrorist attacks, is going to be perhaps, perhaps disproportionate. Now what? How do you respond to that? And I think that that's where... Gosh, everybody's everybody's really struggling with this because it's it's not just about the timeline that we're in currently. It's in the timeline that we're going to be in tomorrow. And that timeline is fucking tricky. Well, so Corey, I, let me go back to, to this. Uh, this is where I, Carter's taking me exactly where I wanted to go. 
if you have viewed this through the the prism of an event versus the historical context, which you've been taught as a politician, we respond to the moment, right? We've we've talked about this for the last thirty five minutes. If you have chosen a side and you've strongly attached yourself to that side, is there any off ramps? For context down the road? Is there any off-ramps for not even fundamentally switching your position, but another event happened? And I've been taught to view this through the prism of the next event. So I strand strongly with, insert, you know, country here, right? right? And we may not see it through Palestine because of the historical context and, and, and kind of where our politics land, but, you know, even moving it out of here as a political sort of strategy and, and practitionership, strong stance on an event how many off-ramps do you have as time goes on, as we've just been talking about, to add context and potentially maneuver if you've been taught to view it through a prism of, of, of an event, not, not a historical context? Yeah, well, look, on this specific situation that's in front of us right now, I don't think that we are going to get to a point where we're like, ah, oh, you know what, Israel versus Hamas, I don't know where I feel on this anymore. We're going to still be on the side of Israel in that particular one here. I know you're trying to broaden the issue here. I want to say that at the very least. There are bigger challenges and bigger kind of context in terms of Palestine and the two-state solution. And it's an interesting question through that lens and, and what might occur in the future. And let's be really clear, like a month ago, we were all kind of pissed at Netanyahu, right, for for what he was doing uh, in Israel to kind of civil society in Israel. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, point taken. But you know, I I think that because the politicians have been so emphatic about this is about Hamas, I, I think they're somewhat inoculated. On they're that. framing and conflating. We're seeing a bit of that, right? Like they're they're framing this as Hamas, but there's also a conflation now, which leads me to this next point, Carter. How far back do you think this has set any? sort of pro-Palestinian movement, perhaps in, in the Western world, from, from this context. I'm just kind of curious to get your, your read as we live it. And that's never a good idea to like read the historical context while you live in it. But I'm not even going to ask you if it set it back, because I'm, I'm convinced it has. I want to I know to what degree, because I feel like even a couple years ago, I think we recorded a podcast about this, the, 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 uh, the ability to say, you know, that... that anti-Zionism is not being anti-Semitic. That that line of, you know, thinking, especially after what happened in 21 and 22, yeah. became very popular, right? Very culturally and socially um, possible to say without the repercussions, perhaps, that one would face in the past. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case anymore when so many of our elected officials, public figures, are locking in um, on based on this event, horrible terrorist event, to be absolutely clear. Mm-hmm. But there, but 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 with how how far back has that set the the, the sort of more pro Palestine movement uh, in in the Western democracies in your mind? Well, I mean, I'm I'm not sure it sets. I mean, this is where it gets really complicated. I'm not sure it sets it back at all, because it wasn't like it was it, there was a viable discussion happening in any case. Um, there were people talking about it. Certainly, we talked about it. We thought, you know, there there are reasonable people who had reasonable ideas about how this would would be a potential solution that that, that this is something that that could work um but those reasonable people and reasonable you know voices didn't have any of the power and when you looked at where the power lie um there really just weren't a lot of people bringing home the idea that this was this was going to be part of a a long-term solution uh when you watch what's happening with with saudi arabia the um the accords that trump pushed through um you know these were not 
movements to bring peace and justice uh, to the Palestinian people. These were initiatives to kind of almost move past their plight. And hmm. like all action, um, these actions created uh, an opposite reaction. And that is always the fear when we deal with, with international issues and international politics is that if we go back to our idea that all politics is local, then these international actions and these international pushes create outcomes that are all too often just tragic. I mean, we appease Hitler. We, you know, we, we respond to, um, you know, we ignore Stalin. We, 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 we walk past Rwanda because it's not something that's important to us. I mean, how many, how many things have we, as a, as, as the world, not just as a Canadian society, have we struggled with and, you know, this is just another one that we can add to the list of failures. Um, but this one, of course, continues, as most of our other failures do as well. Corey, your thoughts on this? Well, let me take an optimist's view for a minute here. And, and let's be really fucking clear. Like, Hamas doesn't believe in a two-state solution. They believe in a one-state solution yeah. of a Palestine okay. that yeah. pushes Israel into the sea. Netanyahu doesn't seem very enthusiastic about a two-state solution. I think as a matter of state policy, that's basically mm -hmm. the case here. So, um, you know, I actually believe that uh, this, is a, this is a terrible moment, is a tragic moment. There will be uh, unacceptable loss of life uh, wrought on us by Hamas's actions here. But um, I, I am hoping that in the calm after the storm, humanity wins and that people say, okay, you know what? The, the, this extreme position of Hamas brought nothing but grief mm -hmm, and terror. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, the idea that we can just put aside the aspirations to live free and just for millions of people in Gaza and the West Bank, this is an untenable situation. It always has been. Uh, and we need to find a clearer path forward here. And the two-state solution may well have its day again, because there is no other choice. There is no other fucking choice. I mean, Israel can, you know, is not a unique observation here, but if Israel is going to continue to be a democracy and a Jewish state, you need a two-state solution, because otherwise things kind of fall apart. One of those two mm. will drop, right? You are either going to have a democratic state where ultimately the Jewish population will be in the minority, or you will have a non-democratic state where the majority of people are unable to vote and participate in meaningful ways. So we can't kick this can anymore. It's 30 years since the Oslo Accord. We This needs to be resolved. And, I, you know, I am I remain always the optimist, Zane, that, uh, that uh, you know, Hamas in particular, absolutely crashing out with their abhorrent worldview, will maybe give us the space we need to find more meaningful solutions in the long term. I've got, I've got three more lines of thinking if I kind of go back to our broader question, which is the question Corey put on the table around like our domestic politics, messaging, statement, strategy around that, Carter. I'm going to go down that path, okay? My first my first sort of stream that I want to talk about, the three left on the board, is are we perhaps overanalyzing and giving too much fault for making a mistake, coming back, iterating, 
ending at the right yes. spot versus Absolutely. starting at maybe not the so right spot. Give me your thoughts on that. 100%. Yeah, okay, later on. Yeah, so, so we are. We are 100% <laughs> are. And I will say these are tricky fucking issues. And there are there is a massive learning curve and there's a massive relearning curve, even if you felt like you were pretty on top of these issues because the situation constantly evolves, right? And uh, it can be as simple as how do you refer to this situation? Is it in Israel? Is it in Israel and Palestine? Is it Israel and Gaza? Israel, Gaza, and the Great West question. Bank? the middle east you know like this is fucking tough and people really sweat these things how do you do you say violence or terrorism do you do you you, uh, absolutely i mean do you mention the context like we've talked about mentioning the context you mention the do you not mention the context how do you do like how do you do these are really tough and people are humans and people are going to make mistakes i actually afford them a lot of public grace i'm not trying to take a round out of olivia chow the reason why i wanted to talk about this so desperately is because the mistakes people are making and the the trip ups and the stacking of messages that tells us something about the situation overall and the politics and how they're shifting the environment. The country. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really important to keep an eye on. And that's a really fascinating thing to discuss because it is a significant issue at moments like this. But you got to give these people some grace. Well, they are they no, are no, trying it, to figure this thing it. out. I think at the Carter same might time have a different. I have actually a follow up for Carter in particular. But give me your take, no, Carter, and then I've got a follow up for you. Oh, I'm just trying. I mean, I love the optimism. I love you know. I want to live in the world that Corey's in. I mean, it's fantastic. But you that's not the world that we now, live in. So you could definitely. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm going to go to his place. We're going to hang out. But here's the well, thing. you can come a foot in the door. Here's yeah, we, the we thing. We do not live in a system. You are saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice? You know, like we've got the suddenly we've got the. The uh, Beach Boys playing, wouldn't it be nice? It, it, this is not the reality. We don't get second chances in this. We The people have decided the mob rules. They they, they jump on us for whatever decision is made um, with with very don't, little. Don't way. love the mob, but I take your point. Yeah. yeah like so the, the you, consensus you, has shifted hard in one direction. And, and it will shift again and it will shift again and it will shift again because that is the nature of the human condition. So we can't just simply sit back and say, well, you know, it would be, would be great if, if this didn't come with consequences. If, if Olivia Chow was given the opportunity to revise her statement and create a better to, to, to just say, you know what? I'm learning here. We're all learning. I'm a mayor of Toronto. I'm not, a fuck a fucking foreign diplomat trying to figure out mm. uh, the intricacies of the the middle east which doctoral students would tell you they don't have necessarily the greatest grasp on because it's constantly shifting and it's a complex fucking issue so yeah Corey, i'd love to live in the world where you are where you know people are granted this this grace people are granted this opportunity but that's not the world in which we live the world in which we live says hit the fucking ball the right way the first time or we will crush you. I, I have a, I have a relate. That is where we are right now. Is that people are getting crushed by this issue? We are dancing around because we're afraid. None of us want to get crushed. We're trying to do the best we can in an absolutely impossible situation where you've got groups of people who are killing each other. Yeah. Um. For you know, I'm a fucking atheist. I don't understand any of this stuff. You know, uh, well, you think you can understand it. It's like you know, yeah, no, you don't I need can't. to. You don't I need can't to... understand being that committed to an idea. It's not. I mean, it's not, you. You're <coughs> grossly overly simplifying, but like, I'm not. Oh my god! Because you, you in my, I can't understand. Hundred percent are. No, I'm okay. not. I can't understand I hear, it. I I take that you can't understand that. That was baseline coming into this, Stephen. But like, <laughs> oh my god, oh my look, god, look, fucking hell. Okay, I mean, I. 
we are very much in the moment right now. Zane has mentioned that a few times. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah, yeah. But as of this moment, we haven't seen like you, you talk about like people being crushed. We haven't actually seen that. We haven't seen careers go down at this moment. We haven't seen anything like that. And and yeah, these are tough fucking issues and emotions are running super high because yeah. terrorists just pulled off the biggest terrorist attack on the Jewish people since like the Holocaust. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like emotions are naturally running high. People are gonna make mistakes. They're gonna make mistakes. Yeah. Car- I, that's no, all Carter, I'm not Carter, saying they're Carter, not gonna Carter, make Carter, mistakes. Carter. They're absolutely gonna make but we don't have society does not have the grace right now i'm this isn't what i'm advocating for Corey. i'm simply reflecting back he, he may not that, be wrong that society Corey. does not have the grace within them at this moment but do you do you to, mean to society or do you mean twitter just so i'm absolutely no, I think clear. society <laughs> you you think, I think this society. Is society oh i do I, because i think that i think that the media you know i mean how do people get information right and how people get information is through social media at this moment and because more people are on Twitter and more people are on um, Facebook, more people are, I mean, there's a great number of people who won't even know this is happening and they might be the happiest of all of us. But so, so let me, know, let me ask it, you this, Carter, let me ask you this. Okay. I've, I've got, I've got two, two streams of thought. One is because you've, you've put it on the table now. What if you, there seems to be an emerging checklist of things. Let's just talk about this issue at hand. Okay. An emerging yeah. checklist of things you need to include in one statement. Talk about Hamas, talk about terror. You need to talk about uh, standing with with Israel, right? If you if you if you, to kind of converge where we've converged yeah. over the last seventy two plus hours, uh, there might be a few more sort of items on the checklist. That's where we're at. What if you you mention none of those, right? You you you, but you put out a statement, and and this is a real example, but I want to don't want to call out the politician, um, and you haven't taken it down. You, you've doubled down. You've done the double down on this. And so I want to talk about the grace that one gets of holding their position, not correcting, because to Carter's point, like, and we've talked about this in the past, right? Like, you, 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 you sometimes do get called out more for, like, being the person who, you know, uh, swapped your statement out for something else, changed course, yeah. didn't know. I, I want to just talk about this notion of the double down in terms of, you know, this is where I stand. It might be missing some of the elements we've societally converged on, but this is where I'm at and I'm comfortable with it. And I know there's a conviction element to this that I'm not even addressing. Like, you know, this person might have a conviction that like, you know, this is what I want to say and I don't give a fuck and I'm willing to lose political capital yeah. on this. Like I'm spending it and I'm fine. But I'm just kind of curious your take on the double down in, in this as a, as a raw political move in this particular moment we find ourselves in, Carter. I think that, you know, if you're taking a principled position and your principled position, um, you know, it, it, like it, I, I really think that the double down is available, but I think the double down should be mostly available for the simplest of statements. Right. There is a very simple statement that you can double down on. And that simple statement is this is wrong. Right. Mm. This is just simply wrong. And, you know, there's much that can be gained from a discussion about, well, which elements are wrong? Well, so many elements are wrong. So many elements are wrong. And we are required, I think, as a society to deal with these elements that are wrong. And and then we, we could have a conversation about that. I'm just not sure. Like, I personally think that the the attack was grotesque. I think that the, uh, and I, I think that I don't know how anybody else would have a different position on that. But 
I, I also, you know, I'm not saying this, this person. Saying, I'm not saying this person does. They just, but they haven't used. No, I'm trying to put parameters. You know, those are exactly. I get what you're saying. Go ahead. I'm trying to set some parameters around what I think you could. I see. Double down on right, and I don't think you could double down on the indefensible. I think that the double down on the indefensible would be career-ending suicide. Corey, which brings me to the last sort of thing I wanted to talk about, and for anyone who's made it to the 50-minute mark. I wish I We're talked 50 about 50 minutes. God, it feels like it's been 50. four hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Carter, <Carter's> been... <laughs> My stomach's yeah. in knots. I'm, I'm a disaster. Now imagine Sweating. being an elected official, Carter, which kind oh. of brings me to this point. Corey. Yeah. The strategy of silence. The strategy yeah. of not saying jack fucking shit. Who is it available so, to? And is it actually good strategy here? Because... I'm not sure if there's folks out there auditing who said something who isn't. I'm sure oh, there are. For sure. I'm oh, sure yeah, there, there are, are. Yeah. right? And oh, I've, yeah. I, I, but is the cost, there's a cost there maybe of silence. Is the political cost of saying, I, I either don't have the education on this, I don't know where to stand. I, not saying anything actually more digestible than going through a situation where you have to rectify, look for off-ramps, do all the things we've been talking about for the last 50 minutes. The strategy of silence I'm curious who it's available to. So, you know, it's interesting. And you've heard me say this before. Not communicating is often an underappreciated option. You know, especially politicians feel this desperate desire to hear their own voice on every issue, even when nobody's fucking asking them. Yeah, podcasters too. Yeah, yeah, podcasters yeah, too. Just, yeah, we've got everyone was dying to hear what the two of us thought about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyone want to flirt with uh, fucking it up? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, said three uh, people. Uh, <laughs> Me. <laughs> yeah, you know it's tough because I think on an issue like this, not quite the same. People are looking to be like, I want to know that you're. You're with me and you're with You think there's Israel like an audit? Like time. there's an audit oh, of yeah. like where... I mean, I, I don't want to make it so crass, but I think people word. are noticing who is talking and who is like not talking because it is one of those things. It, the equivalent truly would be like after 9-11, if a congressman was just like silent on the matter, like that's not going to fucking fly, right? This is a significant issue uh, if you if you happen to be... But I mentioned at the same time, there's probably, okay, 300 what, 38 MPs that we have? Sure. I bet you there's at least 50 that haven't said jack shit. Yeah, and you know what? So here's the thing I want to say. That public's expectation might be that they make a statement. I actually don't know if that's a reasonable expectation of the public for all of the reasons we've talked about, about these being complicated issues. Uh, the odds of you saying something that's just going to be stupid and you don't even know it because you don't know enough about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, frankly, and by complicated, I don't mean is it complicated that you condemn Hamas. No. That's that's pretty simple. But the other things we're talking about, the words you use, how you describe the territories, all of these things, sure, right? Sure, sure, sure. I mean, we have this weird culture, especially with Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it here, where it's effectively, give me your take right now and it better not be fucking wrong. And if your take is like in those formative moments and like everybody has sort of morphed into a consensus over here, I'm going to come back to your take from two days ago and dunk all over you Tell and say, a what a idiot. garbage yeah, take. Yeah. What a fucking asshole this individual was. You, you make a you good point about how, how these takes have to also age in a way. Right, yeah, like no. it's 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 wild, uh, Carter. Strategy of silence. What's your thought on it? If if a politician, let's say, let's just take all the premiers off the table, right? Let's take all the poli- uh, the, the the heads of the the major uh, federal parties off the table. But let's say an opposition leader in somewhere said, "Do I actually have to say anything? No one's asking me for shit. Do I? Uh, you know, do I have to say anything? 
Yeah. I'm curious, yeah, Patrick, I think What would you say? I, th- I think the opposition leader needs to say something. I think the, you know, provincial leaders, provincial opposition leaders, mayors, I think all needed to say something because there was an audience demanding, um, for lack of a better term, direction. Um, you know, where are we? What are we going to be saying about this? Which direction should we be going? And I think that that was, that's healthy. I think um, if you were a counselor, you know, you have, you have options. You, you, you don't necessarily need to be in the vanguard of this. You can sit back and wait for it to unfold in front of you. And there is a very solid set of reasons why that should happen, why you should take that position. Um, you but, mean you know, that position of silence uh, until, yeah. Un- yeah. As, as, and you're saying counselor, you, to be clear, you mean, you're talking about municipal politics, city council. Municipal yeah. politics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, are we really expecting our, you know, elected I don't know, are we? To like, have a, that's a legitimate question. I would question. hope not. I would certainly hope not. I mean, but I, we are. I can, but, but we are. This thing, are but we? we are. You know we are. Right? I mean, I'm, you know we are. I, I'm not sure that we are. And I don't I'm not think sure that we that's, should. It's actually a I question. Think I, I think it's a question in earnest I have for you guys. Like, who does this strategy of silence apply to, if at all? Like, that would be the second part of the question. I would think that the strategy of silence also would depend on whether or not you expect to get reelected again. <laughs> You know, like if you're if you're actively in the arena and you're going to stay in the arena, then you probably need to do something. But you, th- you I think don't it's know. I think it's I think it's asking an awful lot to be an elected counselor who uh, is expected to understand the nuances of uh, the Middle East. Corey, yeah, your well, and again, you don't you don't need a ton like that's you don't need to understand the nuances of the Middle East. You you make a strong statement about the specific, condemning the specific, which is Hamas terror attack, people you, killed, children you, killed, people kidnapped. Great. What are you going to do next week? What are you going to do next week when, when Israel has responded and it is deemed by whomever to be too much? What are you going to do each week, each day brings new challenge for that strategy. Car- Carter's. This is what I, I Man, wish I'd I articulate. I, I would no, but Carter makes a good point. I wish I'd articulated this better. Like, because I've also said earlier on this podcast that like there's going to be another statement you need to make, and another one, and another one. If you kind of make a statement, yeah. Um, but kind of saying, can you? Are we in a position right now, like as a city council? Let's go back to this to be like, not my arena, not my lane. Can you get away with that, Corey? No. This is not potholes in transit. No, but no, no I mean, one's maybe you can if you. you're the like, reeve of some random town. Okay. You cannot, as a city well, councilor that uh, represents diverse communities. You no, know, I like think it's just not going to happen. When did we I get here? No when one's did we get asking. Here? No one's asking them. Have we always been here? We've always been here. Cardinal, like, listen. I don't know yeah, that like, we've always uh, been this, here. Listen, a couple of weeks ago, I said this, and I'll say it again. Canadian politics, like we talk about all politics being local, yeah, local politics is local no, I, to Canadians. It's true. And, and like you, people expect their counselors when to support When we brought up the Khalistani thing, I think this is where we're yeah. talking about it, right? This is right. exactly right. Right, right. Yeah. Oh um, my God. That, this no, feels th- like we're going too far. It feels like we're going too far. Listen, I'm not saying I think it's a great idea that we're looking for counselors' views on the Middle East. I'm saying that's the expectation. Yeah, but that, that was my position a few minutes ago, and it was much better when it was my position. <laughs> and now you're taking it and it's pissing me off. Corey, Corey uh, the last thing I wanted to discuss on these statements, um, speed. We talked about time. Yeah. Talk to me about speed. Have we overcorrected on quick? 
Um, like what, like have, what would you, what would you advise politicians as a result of this? I guess this is my question. Like, would you say, you know what, if you are active on X, you're going to be caught in the trap of speed. I'm just making this up, but like, yeah. go with me. No, you're right. You're going to be caught in the trap of speed and I don't want you to be caught in that trap anymore. There's more social license than ever before to call this place toxic and filled with misinformation. Get off X and your new strategy buys you more time so that you, you don't have to be in the moment. There's no demand of that sort of thing. I'm just kind of curious if this is setting some parameters where yeah. where we are culturally with speed because i think some of the mistakes i'm putting mistakes in quotes for those that can't see it around folks that made statements or that needed to course correct or needed to kind of figure out where where, where the pulse of the country was was that they wanted to do it quickly they were being demanded to do it quickly so talk to me where we are culturally on speed right now yeah well look i think that it has always been a complicated algebraic equation as to speed and content, right? And there is a general rule we've talked about, which is the quote unquote later it is, the more thorough it's expected to be, right? Like the more specific. I do think areas like X, you know, Facebook, Instagram have kind of broken those equations a bit. And now there's an expectation of being thorough and fast because the conversation moves so bloody quickly. Could you say, I'm just going to get off X, it's toxic anyways, I don't want to be there? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly probably the best defensive strategy, but defensive strategies don't tend to win politics in the long run, mm. right? And I think that that's the reality that people are crashing up against there. And so you're going to have to... You're going to have to get a lot better at thinking a lot clearer and a lot simpler about these things. And, you know, I'm actually a little pissed at myself that in the last round, we were t- I said, like, we, I don't know if it's a good idea if counselors should be expected to be experts in the Middle East. That's not even what we're fucking talking about. I think it's not much of a stretch to say counselors should be able to condemn terror attacks. Okay. But like, you know, the overall point lands that we ask people to go outside of their lanes an awful lot. But uh, but that's just the reality of politics this day. That's been the reality of politics always. People don't care about what order of government well, you are. Carter tells the story about Joe Clark being asked to fix streetlights or whatever the fuck it was. And he that's didn't just do reality. it. And, that's, and he didn't do it. That's what he's going to be known for. You guys don't even pay attention <laughs> hey, to my fucking you know story. Corey's, Corey's reminding me of something. Carter, I want to get your t- thing on speed. And I'm, I'm going to blow past the hour here anyways, um, which I've been doing consistently, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. For, Give, uh, for, all, for years. Yeah. For years. Yeah. Hey, Carter, give me your take on speed, and then I want to go back to something Corey mentioned. I mean, speed kills. Um, and I mean that literally. I mean, you, you, if you're out there and you want your political career to survive, um, you need to be able to go fast without crashing. And the truth is, the faster you go, the more likely you are to crash. We used to have... Back in the day, when we talked about a 24-hour news cycle, we, we, we used to ask reporters, you know, what's your deadline? There is no oh, deadline yeah. anymore. The, the yeah. deadline is mm. now because everything is now. What did you put out now, right? You, you have no time to, to think about nuance. You have no time to think about what the longer, uh, you know, what we're going to do next week because today is everything. Everything is, is wrapped up in this particular moment and... Frankly, you just don't get another chance. You have to take this moment and push forward. And I I think that that's a real problem, but, you know, it is what it is. So if you're going to be in this game, you must respond quickly. If you're not responding quickly, you're not going to succeed. If you do respond quickly, then understand that that response might be what ultimately undoes you. And that's just the cost of doing business in a 
news cycle that exists second to second. And, and you know, it's been interesting. I've been listening to an old, a few of our older uh, episodes. I few fell behind. And it's amazing how transient these issues are, right? Things that we were all invested in in the moment is so transient. And so, so you've got to respond in that transient moment or you don't get to be in that moment. Mm. So it's it's all about speed almost all the time. Yeah. You know, I, Carter, you're old enough to remember as well. Zane, you're almost certainly not because I'm barely old enough to remember, but there was a time in public relations in, in kind of government communications, public or, you know, political communications. You might see your phone ring at four o'clock and it'd be a reporter and you're like, oh, fuck, I like, I don't, you know, get the message. I don't want to talk to them about that. I need some time to think about it. And you could legitimately the next morning at 8 a.m. say like, hey, Kelly, sorry, I left the office a little bit early. I just got your message when I got in today. Here's our answer. You in the meantime have had 16 hours to think about it or whatever it is. Nobody buys that shit anymore. Everybody knows the first thing you look at is your phone in the morning. The last thing you look at is your phone at night. Your email is perpetually with you. Texts are perpetually with you. You are always connected and you are always expected to give comment. And so it has changed the game pretty dramatically and it has become a lot less thoughtful. But it's also meant that people who are quick on their feet and are able to say things that sound meaningful without actually being too much locking in that's a skill set that's very high in demand. I, I wonder if there is, and this is expanding beyond what we're talking about, but I wonder, the question that comes to mind here is I wonder if there's room in our political environment for, like, the analog politician anymore. <laughs> I'm no. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I, there I is. Think, I think, like, I, I think it's a e- funny even thought. Even if it's, yeah. like, a ironic countercultural thing to be like, I'm not going to be on the platforms and I'm going to respond yeah. – during business like it's a, the I've business got a pager the business hours it's just it's just numeric it's not even alpha the numeric, business you know? hours politics i actually legitimately think someone running with that brand carter there isn't there's an interest it's a it's a later conversation i don't know what the fuck i'm doing talking about it here but i what is no no but there is something really <laughs> interesting have, about that though we like, have like, some politicians like that 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 have been in place not forever. just because they're like old. i think that, you know, no, 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 i don't mean no, just because they're old peter, right peter demong is a also you know, old, an analog call, also but he's also old. doesn't give a shit about whether or not he gets reelected. I or, mean, someone he's not taking another step up. Okay, okay, there's, okay. Let me, there's let me, no one, no one else can do that. I actually, I actually want to go to this last thing, um, because this is this was the third last thing. Uh, that's now the last oh, thing. Yeah, uh, God. I mean, I gotta take a nervous shit after this. Are we gonna? <laughs> this is this is probably the most uh, controversial of the lot. Oh, you want to do this? Oh, great, Wonderful. great. Yeah, we've given advice to politicians. Give advice to someone else here, Carter. It's me. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm a quasi-public Muslim figure. Yeah. I have no idea, great idea what the fuck to say. I'm actually like, I'm just, I'm bringing you in on this. Like, I, I, what the fuck, right? Um, oh, I, yeah. I have yeah, sympathies. Come to the white guys and ask the white guys. For the Free question. Palestine Movement. You guys know where I stand. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to stay. Sure. This is a terrorist attack that happened. I have unbelievable... Um, hurt, grief, uh, alignment in, 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 in sort of, my, you know, my perspective and, and sorrow for what's happened to so many innocent people. Uh, but I'm not in a position to kind of align myself with the broader Israeli movement right now, knowing that locks me in to something that is antithetical if I'm looking at this from a, from a continuum perspective. No, sir. Like, I, like, yeah. go, go, go for a walk with me. I'm putting my perspective out. You don't have to do anything of your own, right? This is who I am. I, I'm fully this. I have unbelievable sympathy 
for my Jewish friends. I don't know if I should say anything to them. I don't know if I should put up anything online. And guess what? I think there's thousands of people like me right now all across the Western world who don't know what to do. And I don't even even take the quasi-public stuff out of it. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, if I'm a city councilor, I'm expected to put out a statement. Are, are, are we expected to put out a statement? Like, seriously, am I in particular expected to put out a statement because I just so happen to be Muslim? Like, this is a, a question I have been grappling with all fucking weekend texting people most people have been like i'll just talk to folks privately i mean we've got this platform i don't even know if this is a good idea to put this out there i don't you know i i I feel like you know to carter's earlier point hopefully there's some grace for it but i just don't know what to do at this moment and i bet there's thousands of people like me yeah so you know boy zane i I, that is ultimately a, a very personal thing, but you know, I would say there's there's another interesting thing that we haven't really talked about, and you kind of touched on it right at the end here, which is the demand for statements, the demand for words. Yes, the words you say to many, Zane, and I believe this, mean a lot less than the actions you have mm. and do, and what you say to those who are impacted, and who are grieving right now, and who are hurting right now, and so I do think that ultimately it starts with your personal connections and talking to the people in your life that you care about who are hurting and who are thinking about these things and are feeling rather traumatized by Mm -hmm. it all and kind of fuck the crowd, like fuck the crowd. Who the fuck cares if you put a statement out on X that says, Oh, I feel this way or that way. Yeah. And try to summarize. And I'm not talking about 280 characters, the very complicated feelings you can feel that are rooted in ultimately a horror of this terrorist act. But knowing that, like the the broader issue of Palestinian statehood is is an unsettled one mm-hmm. and an unsettling one for many. So, like, I mean, fuck fuck the people who are looking for that. Talk to the people you know and care about, and offer support and compassion as you can. We don't need to we don't need to play theater for X. Yeah, yeah. As, that's as, my as view. individuals, and, and and I think that's a really good message for a lot of people. Carter, any comments on this? I'm going to layer one more on to expand it beyond me because I don't like much attention on this pod, even though I take up maybe 60% of the airtime. 60, uh, 70%. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, hey, Carter, stats are more like 73, the, what, but it's fine. Have we evolved in terms of what's the rule for a company these days? Like, I, I, this harkens back to the BLM sort of era where, like, everyone right. was doing black squares and statements. This seems to be another statement, like, er, like my sort of cultural moment, if I can kind of call it that. I know those are not the right words, but talk to me about that as well. Like where the calculus there is, if you're, if you're a company doing business, if you're an institution doing business, um, where have we landed? I'm intrigued by that framing. Um, If you're a company doing business and and, just doing your thing, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to relate this back because it's not like we are devoid of oper- of situations where, you know, Muslims have been attacked. We're not devoid of oper- of situations where, you know, basically every ethnicity, every every group has has suffered, has suffered. Period. Because we are, we ca- we as humanity causes suffering upon others, right? So. None of us should own the suffering of any particular group except that suffering that we create. So, you know, how we empathize with groups, how we empathize with those who are suffering is entirely of our own situation. We, we The empathy doesn't need to be contained. The empathy, because uh, what, what needs to be contained is hate. 
What needs to be controlled is, is distrust. What needs to be unbridled and allowed is empathy and love and trust. And I think that when you come from that space, you can have the empathy that says, you know, this terrorist action was a problem. And I can also have the empathy for the people who, the 2 million people who are living, living on the Gaza Strip and the, uh, the millions more who are, who are uh, without homes um, and the millions of people who died in the Holocaust. My empathy knows no bounds. My empathy knows no bounds. And I think that that's where if we can get to uh, that place then your reaction, Zane, does not need to be curtailed because your reaction comes from a place of empathy. Did the edible kick in? Like, <laughs> I mean, episode title, My Empathy Knows No Bounds. <laughs> Carter, Stephen Carter, uh, just, just I for mean, the record, always has been a friend of the Jewish people, and we know that, and that has always oh, been with Chris Carter. Been my, yeah. like, calling uh, that's good. Love the love, brother. Love the love. love the that's love. good. Uh, Corey, any, any thoughts on institutions right now? I know this is probably in a whole episode of, on its own. But yeah, in terms of very like, well be. yeah, yeah, your thoughts on this and, 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 and advice, I guess, in some ways. Yeah, well, you need to be really clear on what you're commenting on. And so this does take us back to the specific issue of the, the terror attack. But you've got to be mindful that just because you're really clear on it doesn't mean that your entire audience of consumers is going to play ball mm-hmm. and is willing to compartmentalize the way you are and isn't, isn't interested in talking about kind of the chain before and the chain that may to come, right? And so as a company, that is that is a very tough thing to do. And when you talk about silence as a strategy, I, I would say that's particularly the reason we want politicians to do it is because they represent us. They're supposed to support us. They're supposed to be there for us. I don't need the brand of ramen noodles I buy to support their, me and be there for me. And you're not fucking adding anything to the conversation but, in many cases. And, so and, again, and it seems so one-sided in BLM. Well, in, the, in that sense where it just became obvious look, that you had to do it. But this is different. I'm more interested again in, in like, I think these corporations should have meaningful outreach yep. to their employees, to their suppliers, to the people they do business with, and, and should kind of spare whether we think we need to know what the Weedabix brand's mascot thinks about these things. That's just not, that's just not, again, in any way, shape, or form, the reality in which we live. I've just, I went to, you know, as you guys know, unsuccessfully buy a new microphone. And yeah, you, you fucking. You know, on the on the uh, on the Best Buy door, you know, they are the logos of the groups that they support, uh, and those logos of the groups that they support may have um, some detrimental impact with some small groups. But they felt the pressure that if they didn't put those symbols in their windows, if those symbols weren't there, then obviously they would have turned away some subset of their of their uh, their constituency whatever that constituency is so we are pretending like the only people with constituency um are the politicians well in well, today's look, society if you do not stand and take a position then you know and, and whether it was like caused by you too or caused by i don't know i don't know what the causal element is but right now everybody's taking a position on everything and I'm not well, sure that that's and, and, bad. I'm not sure that that's good. So so listen, that is like, I talked a bit about like demographics. I talked about time. I talked about these things yeah. affecting the way we approach these things. I, I never did get to my third, 
which is people's views of values and, you know, their understanding of issues and how they now expect the, you know, kind of like personal worldviews to be carried along and, and be more consistent than we expected in the past. Because you said this, Stephen, like effectively, we used to kind of just sort of hand off things like foreign affairs to elected officials, yeah. other parts of our brain, and we just didn't worry about it very much here. But I'm ultimately a cynic when it comes to corporations and corporations decide to support things because they are either marketing to their employees or they are marketing to consumers or they are marketing to shareholders. And that's kind of the end of the list. Like, I just don't believe that corporations, which are just constructs can be good or evil. I think that they're just money-making machines and they optimize towards that. And I and that's not to say I have a problem with corporations. I just don't think that sounds like good. you have a little problem with. It corporations. feels like you got the biggest problem. I don't yeah. think they're I mean, good. Feels or like, I think they're. But you know, they're anti Non-moral. You know, I think they're non-moral. The reason the reason I brought up BLM right was was when I say it's one side. It was both one side on the event, in the in the event that happened that triggered, but also on this continuum. And I think there's many people here in this particular situation, as we've discussed. The event I think is so clear, right, in terms of where you need to stand. But it's that. Do you make a statement on that broader sort of historical continuum, which gets very complicated, as we've chatted about? Okay, yeah. I'm going to leave that there. Let's move it on to our final segment, our over, under, and our lightning round. Stephen oh, God, Carter. we're still doing uh, that? Stephen Carter. Okay. Um, Stephen Carter, have we successfully made it through uh, this issue? This is another Stephen Carter I mean, pre- prediction. Don't, don't make him predict yeah, Carter, this. Oh, don't make him predict. We, we have not. not through this. And I, I suspect that one of the three of us is going to get raked for something that we said today. Probably going to be me. Yeah, it's, it's probably yeah. It's it's probably you. Probably you, uh, Corey. Uh, we we made it through, right? Man, you know what? Like, I think that that's kind of the view that people are. You know, everyone's pussyfooting around it. They're kind of thinking about it. It's making real conversations difficult here. I don't know. I don't know what making it through means anymore. I condemn Hamas. I am deeply conflicted about the overall yeah. Israel yeah. Palestine situation. I don't fucking know what you want from me beyond that. And you know, I, you I stand with Israel in this moment. <laughs> I know, I know, I did, but like, about it. but like, your your question even is like, th- this is why I wanted to do a podcast. Corey's with doubting if we made are, it through, Carter. No, people want to. Yeah, I don't either. Down, we definitely did. Yeah, I don't I, anymore. I think we yeah. fucked it up. Uh, <laughs> here's the here's a question I've been I've been I've been grappling with for the last 15, 20 minutes while we've been chatting, Carter. Uh, actually, Corey, let me start with you on this one. Which political party, federal political party, do you feel like will have the toughest time navigating this file? And I don't mean to call it just a NDP. file. NDP. Not, uh, not even a question. Interesting. Tell yeah. me why. Tell me why. Well, because of of their base and because of the, the views on, on the farther left of the Canadian spectrum and the tension that exists within it. I mean, I could have said the Greens as well, because obviously the, the Greens, Greens are going to have problems. Yeah. Challenges with anti-Semitism. But... Um, uh, you know, ultimately, I think the NDP ones will be more meaningful because they're a larger party. And you saw Justin Trudeau and you saw Pierre Polyev stand up, make very strong statements condemning Hamas. You have seen the NDP make strong statements, but they often then continue on, right? And provide some of that context that is antagonizing some people, mm-hmm. right? Now, you know what? Maybe in three weeks, we'll say whatever to that, right? Because there is kind of the moment and then there's beyond. But... um I think that the NDP are going to have a real hard time with this because they contain a multitude of views on the issues related to Israel and Palestine. Carter? They won't separate it out, make it simple. Right? Do you like agree? If, that if is you, the NDP? If you, 
Oh yeah. If they separated it out and made it simple, then they, you know, I think that there's a way to to go through it. But that's just not. That's not who they are. It's not what they who they want to be. They want to take different and difficult positions, and they will take a different and difficult position on this particular issue. Carter, you know, we've talked a lot about messaging. We've talked a lot about statements. My final question is originality of statements. There's probably going to oh. be some politicians somewhere that are saying, you know, I'm going to either write a longer statement that is required. I'm a city councilor, but I've got thoughts, right? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to. Maybe I'll do a. 80 minute podcast on it. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when like no Shatter. one was asking fucking, for anything, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, some fucking idiots. Yeah. Um, so, so these, these people with egos that, that are not unchecked and have been a result of childhood traumas, they're going to do longer yeah. rather than shorter. Um, or they're going to try to go for original, overrated or underrated original statements in times of crisis, Carter. Uh, overrated, and I can't believe we did this one. Corey, overrated or underrated? I was, I'm hoping you go with something unique. You give me a unique answer here, not the easy one available to you. Original statements in a time of crisis. I think for most people, it is overrated, but there are rare moments where people can break the mold and actually start to shape the conversation in helpful ways. And we do desperately need leaders. Mm. I think we have all talked about kind of a bit of a dearth of leadership in our political ranks. And I, you know, a, a certain amount of courage, a certain amount of thoughtfulness, I wouldn't mind seeing why, a little bit. Why did it have to be us, though? In the oh, not it, us. It, it, Let's it, it, be really clear. Uh, it's not us. I feel... We're talking about the political strategy of this oh, here. Okay. But, like, I think, I, you know what? For most people, you're not good enough. For the rare few who are, mm. I want to hear from you. Do you have any names in mind? No. no. Okay, really. well, there we go. That's a wrap <laughs> on episode 1258 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Belger. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.